0: get me drinking that moonshine get me higher than the grocery bill take my troubles to the high wall throw in the river and get your fill. we've been sniffing that cocaine ain't nothing better when the wind cuts cold oh it's a mighty hard living
1: but a day Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith Welcome everybody to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here today. Man, was a great time to be alive in the great outdoors, isn't it? Tell you what, whitetail seasons are wrapping up, but waterfowl seasons are going strong. We've got uh, things that I absolutely love coming up on the horizon in snow goose conservation seasons. We've got spring turkey. Uh, I'm Been looking at the calendar, planning my uh, out-of-town trips to chase gobblers all over Texas uh, here of late. Gotta let the wife know when to take off work kind of thing. I'm sure some of y'all are in the same boat. Uh, And then, what about the spring spawn for crappie, largemouth? Uh, Actually, the catfish spawn will happen before both of those, so tons of stuff to look forward to, and speaking of looking forward to things, we've got a great show. Lined up for you today. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old Stanley thermos. Yeah, the one granddaddy passed down to you years ago. And certainly it's still got mud on it from last week. Maybe even from last season uh, if it's like mine. Uh, But pour yourself another cup of coffee and get ready. Because off the top, we've got one of my absolute favorite people. From the outdoor industry set to uh, join us once again. Our old pal, Travis T-Bone Turner of Bone Collector will be here. He has made a career out of arrowing monster whitetails. And this season might have been his best one ever. So from Kansas to Georgia and everywhere in between, the big bucks have been taking dirt naps at Travis's hands. So we'll talk about two of the bigger bucks, actually the two biggest ones he's ever killed in Georgia. Um, and then what about as someone who's hunted so many different States, what about absolutely ridiculous hunting regulations that exist in specific States? I can think of one off the top of my head, but uh, we'll table that and I will share it later. And, and also how many times will Travis sit one tree stand or one pop-up before he thinks it's burned? Uh, Lots of fascinating stuff as we will pick Travis's mind, and hopefully some of that information might help one of us arrow that big white tail next season. Uh, after that, we'll be joined by uh, outdoor writer, award-winning outdoor writer, uh, political commentator, podcast host, and huntress Gabriella Hoffman, host of the District of Conservation podcast. Uh, so, lots to get into as the balance of power is set to shift in D.C. next week. Uh, we'll kind of gauge the temperature of what's going to happen with the Second Amendment. Uh, they've kind of already shown their hand a little bit. And so, Gabriella will be here to give us her take on what she is experiencing or seeing firsthand there in the Capitol. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Since uh, we're going to be talking about the Second Amendment, and I certainly want you guys to have all the ammunition that you need, right? And who would have ever thought that one box of two two three ammo would be worth its weight in gold? But, man, have you seen any two two three ammo on, on uh, ammunition shelves lately? I certainly haven't. Actually, my wife was at Academy last week, called me. She was there trying to get Henry like a, a new soccer ball or something. Says, Hey, I'm at Academy. Would you like me to look for ammo? I said, Yeah, sure, babe. That thanks for thinking of me. That's great. She calls me back. She's she's like, There's not a single box on any shelf And I said, Are you just talking about like rifle and pistol ammunition? She goes, No, there's no shotgun shells either. Oh my god. We are certainly in an ammo shortage like never before but i just got a thousand rounds of 223 ammo that i found online i couldn't believe it Uh, of course it was a little pricey uh but and and it's russian you know cheap russian wolf 223 steel casing but i don't care i'm glad i have it that was a thousand rounds that i didn't have so uh, i'll give a box away if you want a box let's say two boxes of 223 ammo and just so you know like i said it's not the highest quality stuff but that's 40 more rounds than you have right now so anyway uh just email the word how about 2a just 2a for second amendment to Star outdoors show at gmail.com and we'll get you entered into today's ammo giveaway let's knock out a quick break coming up next we'll head out to the peach state talk some white-tailed deer with our old buddy travis turner of Bone Collector right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
0: I saw you leaning on a memory With your back turned to the crowd and that little bar on Murphy Where they play guitar too loud There were people drinking
1: whiskey There were hard Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore Premium underscore Power Sports. That's texaspremiumpowersports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm & Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. Honey, I don't think my love Little john baumlin bringing us back on scis lone star outdoor show capel smith here with you thanks for dropping by today and uh, yeah always been a fan of john's but really dove into his catalog uh, on a recent seven and a half hour drive to south texas for a deer hunt lots of hidden gems in there just like that one love number one And by the way if you guys have any requests uh you know Texas country, red dirt, uh, classic country, Americana. Just shoot an email with your request over to Show at com. Love to take a listen and possibly give it a spin. Unless, of course, you're coming at me with that shake it for the trees and the bullfrogs Nashville bro country BS. That'll be met with a SWAT out to half court and subsequent Dikembe Mutombo-esque finger wag. Uh, anyway, we're about to head to the peach state where, you know, the focus of the nation has resided over the past six weeks or so with the Senate runoff that just wrapped up. Uh, but before we are joined by Travis T-Bone Turner of the Bone Collector, this segment of the show brought to you by Big J Whitetail Attractants. Uh, I know the Bone Collector guys have been using Big J for a long time. I recently got hooked up with Big J, and it made a heck of a difference for my whitetail seasons, specifically on my deer lease where I was able to condition my bucks to come to areas that I wanted them to show up at. And the 10-pointer uh, that I ended up taking with Henry in the blind, yeah, he came right into that to die for, just like he had so many times before, with the uh, caveat being I was sitting in the blind waiting on him that day. Uh, but check it out. Big and Jay has an entire lineup of whitetail attractants, and you can find them at bigandjay.com. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest. He is a longtime friend of the show, one of the nicest guys in the outdoor industry, a larger-than-life personality. It is my pleasure to welcome Travis T-Bone Turner back to the program.
0: Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Always a good time to sit around the the old uh, Cablesmith campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: it's a pleasure to have you back. Um, You had a heck of a season, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but first, let's address this elephant in the room. The entire country was looking at Georgia last week and I was feeling pretty good, man. I, I thought that, uh, at least one of those Senate seats would remain in conservative hands and, um, Purdue and, and Loeffler were both outed. I was, I was shocked to be Frank.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, pretty much the whole state went, went red, but there's just so many people, uh, that are, uh, on the blue side, the left side that live right there in the Atlanta Metro area. And, and I, I guess that was, gosh, it was so close. I mean, yeah. we're only talking like 20 something thousand people on, on one of the Senate races. So I, man, I, I, I mean, I, I wished I could have done more. I think we, me and Michael both did a bunch. We, we uh, posted plenty of stuff on social media, as well as went to several, several rallies and spoke at them. And we, we tried, but, yeah, seems like you never can do do enough.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting to me, and it is what it is, right? We can't just yeah. rewrite Georgia law, but no. I mean, Purdue uh, defeated Ossoff by two hundred thousand votes. it was a hundred thousand votes. It was a hundred thousand. He defeated him. He had like two point four something million votes on November third. And yeah. he had 49% of the vote to Ossoff's 47% or something like that. Why did, I don't understand why the incumbent has to go and win again. He already won by two points. That's a, that's a blowout, you know, in an election.
0: Yeah. I, I, I thought so too. I, I, I guess they seen that it was uh, close enough to do, to do so, but I, I didn't think it was myself. I am like you, it's two points is a, is quite a bit and it, he should have been a, especially if he is the incumbent should have, should have won but i guess we can't rewrite history like you said so yeah yeah. i know that there was more money spent on this runoff than just about the uh um, well i mean you guys probably didn't see it nowhere near like what we did but i mean i was getting easily 15 to 20 mailings every day the the tv there was no other commercials you never seen anything about beer you never seen anything (laughs) on tv but but uh Uh, political commercial so they there was more money spent on this political race than probably what they spent on the the presidential race
1: yeah and i hate that as as hunters and outdoorsmen that we've had to spend so much time on politics this year Uh, yeah but i I don't it's it's not really avoidable in my opinion like if we want to keep our way of life if we want to keep the second amendment if we want to keep just our right to hunt like there's so many people out there that want to take that fundamental right away from us forget the second amendment they don't think we should be out there hunting and harvesting our own organic protein.
0: Yeah. And, and, and honestly, they're just, they're just uneducated. Yeah. You know, that they get their information from tabloids or uh, unfortunately so many celebrities in Hollywood and, you know, the, the large cities are uh, left wing. So they're, they're followers, you know, they're basically just sheep. And, you know, they say, if, uh you know, uh, Lady Gaga says, do it, then I'm going to do it, wh- whether they give any thought to it at all. So, yeah. And, and, you know, the left preys on that. You know, they want, they want that. They want the, the, the minority and or they, they want the, the easy vote. So they, they definitely know what they're doing as far as keeping that. My, my thing is, is I can't see how you can have a – I mean, this has been beat to death, and I'm sure your listeners are probably tired of hearing it too. But, you know, if you wanted a blueprint of what could happen or, or potentially we're headed down that path, and like you said, we as outdoorsmen and sportsmen – we want to dig our heels in meaning like we just you know we, we don't want to conquer the world we just want mm-hmm. to keep our free lifestyle you know and and, yeah. and the great american dream alive but um if you wanted a blueprint you know just look at venezuela 25 years ago It's one of the top countries there was as far as uh you know financial and and doing well and then when it got turned over it's went downhill and now look at it today so you know, if if we don't open our eyes and and some people start using their mind and common sense and being open minded, you know, we're going to head down that road too. And y- you, like me, and so many other conservatives, know that once it turns so deep, you it, it's, it's just about impossible to get back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you look at how Trump did in Florida. I mean, he destroyed it. It was awesome for him, and, and a lot yeah. of that was because of. Uh, those Cubans and those Venezuelans who were pr- they're proud of their heritage but by God they know where they come from and they know you know communism and socialism are they're they're not productive that's that's not the way that America needs to go and so they all voted for trump and exactly. and, a, and a lot of people were confused by that which i it's you know you look at where they came from I don't know how you could be confused by uh communism but it's uh that's that's telling. That says everything you need to know. Here's people that lived it and escaped to this great country, and yeah, they see, oh yeah, yeah. They see what which way we're trending, and it it scares the crap out of them.
0: Yeah, and that uh, you know we have some friends from South uh, South Africa, and, and they're going through that uh, right now as well. And you know they're over here now because they they escaped from that. You know they they uh, America is the land of the free, and we have our arms open. So many people misconstrued the the. The message they're thinking that we're stopping anybody else from coming in. Absolutely not. Yeah. We welcome anybody. Just do it by legal means. That's all. Yeah. And, and and the ones that voted for them, like you had mentioned in South Florida, uh, the Venezuelans, the the Cubans, and such, they realize that. They mean like, yeah. hey, we went through the proper steps. We're here. Life is great now. You know, absolutely. They want to stop the illegals as well. So, you know, they they don't want that. They they see that the grass is definitely greener in America, and we need to make sure that we keep it that way. And you know, to, to try to turn a negative into a positive, absolutely. As a conservative and a Republican, we're all disappointed right now, but we definitely don't want to act like what they do. You know, I, I definitely don't condone, uh, you know, the violence and the, the the rioting that happened at, at the Capitol. By all means, protest and let your word be spoken, but there doesn't need to be vandalism and such. But I want to go forward and, you know, we have to, I'm not going to say support, but definitely um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping that uh, things turn out well. I hope they're not as going to be bad as what potentially could be under, uh, you know, Biden and, and a, a, a Democratic government. Well,
1: he's already feeling emboldened uh,
0: on the 8th. He said he was going to defeat the NRA. So. I know. I know yeah. I'm seeing that on social media. And uh, yeah, we, we definitely, definitely cannot let that happen.
1: And so uh, there's a linchpin here. And it's weird to say that um, I I recently started this other podcast. It's called Justified Pursuit. And we really talk more about political issues, social issues than we would ever do on this show. Yeah. But there's a senator from West Virginia named Joe Manchin who has an A rating from the NRA and also happens to be a Democrat. So when you're talking about that 50-50 split, at least when it comes to the Second Amendment, Hopefully, Joe will not vote along party lines on those issues because uh, really the fate of this country, as far as we know it, could lie in the hands of this particular Joe uh, Mansion of West Virginia.
0: You know, let's let's try to think that positive. Like you said, let's let's hope that there are a lot of Democrats out there that, um, you know, especially the issues that really, really mean a lot. Uh, yeah. Such as the the gun toting Second Amendment rights saving and and the NRA, uh, th- they do vote that way. I, I, I mean, that's 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 what we got to hope for.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the Bone Collector crew has always had my respect as outdoorsmen, certainly as hunters and as human beings, but um, never more than in 2020 because unlike so many other hunting shows personalities, you guys aren't afraid to wade into this muck. And I see so many others shy away from it and I wish they would speak up, but I don't know if it's like, Hey, we don't want to lose sponsors or, you know, and I know I've lost sponsors over this type of stuff, but I don't know how else to do it. Like I can't just go through life thinking there's so much to say that because I might lose a few dollars here,
0: I can't say it. Uh, So I respect the hell out of you guys for your approach. I, I appreciate you saying that, but, um, it really wasn't a hard decision. I mean, we came from nothing, and we we love our country. So, you know, I hope we did it, you know, tactfully. You know, uh, you know, to where it's an ego pounding your chest type. And yeah, we, we're just pr- proud to have this platform, and and it, it's our American duty. We didn't do it ego based. We didn't do it for any other reason than absolutely we love America. And and like you said, that I wished I wished more people would would have done so. You know. Um, it's a little different than just being on a TV show. Now we have, we all have strong social platforms as well. So, um, it, it it wasn't nothing negative. It's just the way you feel no different than like, say, Hey, I I like Cheetos over a potato chip. You know, it's just your views. And you know, if you, if you don't like it, you can click on, but, um, I, I mean, it's, it's our right to educate people, you know, and do it in a tactful manner. And that's what we thought we were doing.
1: Yeah. Well i like i said i I appreciate it uh, more than you guys know to to see people in this industry not afraid to to stand up for what they you know a lot of a lot of them will stand up for land and water issues public land issues and, yeah. and that's great too, but it seems like politics is just so uh, volatile that they don't want to yeah. touch it so uh, I appreciate it and uh yeah Thank absolutely you. um let's uh let's do this. Let's just take a quick break here. We'll come back, and we'll shift gears and and actually talk about the the stuff that we love to do at Field. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, and that segment was brought to you by SCI. And let me tell you, this isn't some good old boy fraternity of African safari hunters. No, SCI is passionate about doing work right here in North America. If it's hunting or conservation-related, they're going to be at the forefront. If it's pro-Second Amendment-related, They've got a political action branch of the organization. Time and time again, SCI puts its money where its mouth is, supporting you as a hunter and your rights. Not only that, they take the time to try to educate the uninformed masses. For more info or to become a part of SCI, just go to safariclub.org. We'd love to have you. Well, coming up after the break, T-Bone had a whitetail season for the ages. We discuss next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor show.
0: Georgia on a fast train, honey huh? I wasn't born no yesterday That a good Christian raising And an eighth grade education Ain't no needin' y'all treating me this way
1: Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit Texas TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore Premium underscore Power That's texaspremiumpowersports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm & Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. It's in with the new, and it's out with the old. Out goes the warm. And in comes the cold It's the most predictable story told In with the young, out with the old Down with the shine, the perfect shine That poisons the well Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here today it is great to be talking all things outdoors with you as we're going to talk a little white-tailed deer here Uh, not everybody's favorite thing but certainly something most american hunters are passionate about and travis turner knows a thing or two about big bucks the longtime member of the bone collector is still here uh actually on zoom with us hey there's one silver lining from covid is The sound quality from Zoom is infinitely better than uh, a telephone line, a landline. Uh, So that is at least one positive. But uh, Travis is still here. We'll pick it back up with him momentarily. This segment, however, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't had a chance to pick up the Thermion Thermal Monocular yet, you need to. Of course, they've got uh, different models in that lineup to fit every budget and every need. But the Thermion... Is hands down the best thermal optic that I've ever had the opportunity to mess around with. I've got one on, uh, well, you all know how I feel about the 6.5 Creedmoor. Not really my favorite for big game, but when it comes to hogs and coyotes, tough to beat. And so I've got that Thermion on top of my 6.5. It is a hog-killing machine. You can find the Thermion as well as Pulsar's entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics at PulsarNV.com. With that being said, T-Bone, thanks for sticking around, man. Certainly enjoying the conversation as always.
0: Oh, yeah. No no problem. My pleasure. So let's talk some hunting,
1: specifically whitetail deer. Have you ever sat down and figured out how many states you've taken a whitetail buck in?
0: Well, I can't quote the number, but I do. I have a map that I built about, I don't know, about eight years ago because when we started this journey, you know, some 15, 20 years ago, I, I mean, uh, we, we all come from humble beginnings and I thought I might be able to check like three States off, <laughs> you know, at, at when I was working in an archery shop of where I could hunt. And then once we started traveling, I thought, man, this is awesome. I am so, uh, out, outliving any, a dream I ever had. So I built a, I built the Atlas of the whole uh, country and it's a stick pin wall. So everywhere I hunted, I put a little orange pin in there and, uh, I've got it all marked downstairs. I update it every year, but I I don't know exactly how many states I've hunted in, but it's, it's probably a good two thirds of them anyway.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, so other than
1: Georgia, your home state, what is your, your favorite state to deer hunt?
0: I, I like them all for different reasons. And that's the great thing about whitetail is it's so diverse all the way across this country. And it's, it's in so many different states so you know the way you hunt them in montana is not the way you would hunt them in florida so it, it is so diverse but if you're you know putting a gun to my head to pick one state i'd probably probably pick kansas um i like kansas because it's kind of a midwest style uh and size of deer real big body real big horns uh but yet it's got a texas feel especially that that central and western part of of kansas so it's got the the texas feel to it it's a bait state i'm definitely a fan of that mm-hmm. texas is great it's a target rich environment uh, we love texas for sure um but but I'd, I'd have to say kansas is my favorite but there are there's probably a good two handfuls of close seconds yeah well i had the
1: opportunity to hunt nebraska with the muzzleloader tag this year that was the first time i'd, I'd ever hunted up there and uh it, that's not, it was the sand hills, so you know northern yeah. nebraska Yep. and it's a lot of spot and stock. Like you, you try to catch these animals going to the, the cornfields in the, uh, in the evenings and then catch them leaving in the morning. Yeah. And sometimes they're a thousand yards away and you've got to use the topography and river bottoms and drainages to try to intercept them. And uh, I wouldn't have thought, Oh, I need to take a spotting scope to Nebraska. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not like a, it didn't seem like a Western style deal to me, but that's how it played out. And I just fell in love with it. I already, I already rebooked for next year.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Um, that's what, that like I had said, they're so diverse and mm-hmm. you just never know what you're going to get into as far as, uh, you know, the the types of wave to hunt. There's a lot of time uh, in some of those like Nebraska and Montana and Wyoming that you you spend more time planning and sitting back and watching. And then, you know, the, the true stalk and everything could, could whittle down over three or four days to only a couple of hours. So it's a, definitely a lot of planning. Otherwise, you end up uh, blowing a lot of chances. Mm-hmm.
1: In your many travels, what have you ever come come across a a, le- a regulation or, or a hunting law that you just thought was ridiculous and and like why is that why does that exist? And I think every state probably has one or two. Yeah. Uh, like you know, in Texas, we can literally ride around with a gun in our you know if you're on your own property, yeah, you can ride around with a loaded gun in your truck, and if you see a coyote or something, stick it out the window and pop it, like. I watched a guy that was on a a mountain lion hunt we did in Colorado and he was from Colorado and he knew the law, but he got a ticket for basically doing that exact same thing. Uh, can't ride around hot. And, uh, I was like, man, that's, that's maybe it's not stupid, but it's just so foreign from, from our culture. Um, have you come across something that you're like, well, that just doesn't make any sense.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, And before I go into that, God bless Texas for that. (laughs) But, uh, but, um, Illinois, um, yeah. And like you said, every state's probably got a few head scratching rules, but, uh, Illinois takes the cake. Meaning, um, if it's, if it's after dark, like, uh, you can't, you can't, uh, your bow has to be in a case Uh and or locked up as you walk into the stand, if it's dark or if it's in your car, when I say locked up, I mean, it has to be in a case with a padlock on it, or your bow has to be deemed uh, unshootable, meaning like you have to take a padlock or like a, a heavy duty zip ties and bind the strings together and then cut it off when you get in the stand, or you have to bind it up and walk out with it bound together. And, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, also in Illinois, you're not allowed to, um, during the gun seasons, they have, they have three gun seasons shotgun seasons in every state that i've most ever hunted you can always use the lesser weapon meaning like if it's gun season by all means you can still hunt with your bow Uh, you just have to abide by gun rules meaning like you have to wear your orange and such whereas in illinois you cannot bow hunt during the gun seasons there's two three and four day gun seasons you're not allowed to bow hunt at all yeah no,
1: I've, I've done Pike County muzzleloader twice. And yeah. Yeah. I thought I, and so I, I did remember somebody telling me that because one of them wanted to hunt with a crossbow, another hunter, he brought us a crossbow and they're like, yeah, uh, yeah, you can't hunt with that. And it's like, what, what, what? I, yeah. you know, I can hunt with a gun, but I can't make it harder on myself. That doesn't make yeah. any sense.
0: No, I, I agree. And, but the, the locking the bow up, like, uh, when you're, when your bow is in your truck, it has to be locked up. Like there's going to be guys, you know, shooting, shooting deer from the window with a compound bow at just, right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, i'm surprised that that hasn't been overchanged and overturned yeah. but it's still in place huh interesting. interesting yeah well you know you you had a heck of a
1: fall uh just following along on your your instagram page which um you've really gotten into doing these uh you've become quite the singer and <laughs> i think people people like those but uh who i think i saw you
0: doing adele some yeah. some, some throwbacks some classics
1: Beastie
0: oh Boys. Yeah. Oh yeah. Beastie <laughs> boys for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just, enj- I just enjoy doing that. Maybe, um, you know, me, Michael and Nick have never been claimed to be shy and I I've just enjoyed doing that kind of a karaoke dub smash deal. So, I, I mean, I I'm only doing it just be- because I, I like to do it. It's kind of, yeah. kind of crazy. So, uh, uh, I, I know it's probably silly and and everybody's scratching their head they're like how old is t-bone but i <laughs> I get a kick out of it and it seems I like think they're great yeah, yeah I think a lot of folks like them too but uh yeah i just just trying to break it up man this year more than ever we needed something to laugh at or smile about and try to be positive so man i it, it's so easy to get on a go down a rabbit hole on any social media of just gloom and doom and everything and I'm like, man, I'm so tired of this I mean there's more to life than just having your lip poked out so i'm going to try to make make it lighthearted so uh yeah that's, that's my philosophy
1: well go, but going back to um this awesome season that you just completed uh, b- besides the in the blind karaoke <laughs> uh you shot your largest archery buck ever and i believe you
0: shot that on your kansas farm that's correct yeah and he went 181 181 yeah in can in kansas on the farm that I had just bought a year ago and, uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly just a absolute blessed, blessed year hunting wise. I mean, we'll, we'll all take them. I I've never been one to, to be known for, you know, the monster whitetail hunter. That's always just a cherry on top. There's so much mm-hmm. more to hunting than just that, but you know, you'd be lying if, if you wasn't a hunter and, and you, you know, you wouldn't uh, always be proud of topping your personal best. So, to take my personal best with the archery equipment, uh, on my own farm. That was a huge pride factor there. And then shortly that, well, two weeks later I come home and on my own farm here in Georgia, I took my largest whitetail with a bow in Georgia by far. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it gross scored a 161. And then two weeks after that, uh, which I I knew both of these deer, I mean, I knew it was going to be a year to, if I was ever going to kill two really giants in the state of Georgia, and especially on my own farm, yeah. they, they were here this year. And uh, and I, I actually kind of blame COVID or, or, or credit COVID for because we wasn't traveling so much doing shows in August. It gave me a lot more time to prepare, plan, uh, scout, and, uh, you know, put game plans in play for all three of these deer. So, yeah. I well, we them. missed you
1: at the Texas Trophy Under Show, but it yeah. sounds like uh, the, the deer
0: had to pay the price for that. <laughs> they did. They did. We made them pay.
1: So, uh,
0: and then two weeks after that, I killed my largest buck ever of anywhere. And uh, it was a non-typical right here in Georgia that gross scored 186. So, yeah, it's you know, a monster. Is
1: Georgia, is Georgia, see, I, I don't really think of the peach state when people talk about monster whitetail. So, is Georgia known for, I mean, is it like a secret? little hidden gem or is it just you know great management and giving them the right nutrition and letting them get to you know six and a half seven and a half years old
0: yeah i mean i mean um management is helping for sure um you know as far as but no i I mean percentage wise no we're we're not known for that but uh and and those are definitely um you know i i'm not sounding arrogant but those are top-end deer by by for sure but um you know we do we do squeak some big ones out every year. I mean we yeah. th- the whole state, but it's not like uh they're they're kind of all over. There's freaks in every state, I guess you could say. You know there's always ones that you're like wow I didn't realize that. So um, I, I just had both of those deer in Georgia um, uh, certified scored. Just to, to you know I was kind of proud to be my home state. I was wanting to sure. be in Georgia records, but turns out that the the buck that I killed with the muzzleloader is going to be the number two non-typical muzzleloader kill of all time, uh, in the whole state of Georgia. So, wow. so, uh, I mean, yeah, put that in
1: perspective, that, that's incredible. So yeah, yeah, a freak. So,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, pretty, pretty proud of that. And, uh, you know, to kill it right here in my own little old ranch, I guess you could say, I never would have dreamed that that would have happened. And, and to get both of those deer in the same year was, I, I tell everybody when we talk about it, um, I feel like I killed a, a, a vampire and a unicorn all in the same year. <laughs> So how big is your property? Honestly, I have 67 acres is all I have here.
1: So these deer are moving in and out of your place pretty regularly.
0: Yeah. uh, They're not staying here by no means. I, um, um, I, I bought my property back in 99. So I've had it for a little over 20 years, but I bought it because I'm uh, a neighbor to. I couldn't afford, but 27 acres to start off with. And Uh I don't even know how I afforded that back then, but, Uh, it, it adjoins a large piece of property that is, um, that that's really well protected. It's a private foundation and I, that's why I bought where I bought because of great neighbors and, uh, Mm -hmm. that's to contribute to that. And just over the years I've added to it, it's, you know, 67 acres of contiguous land and then just tons of food plots and, you know, preparation and land management and, uh, you know, letting them, letting them grow. And luckily the neighbors are on the same page and, you know, uh, everything came together this year.
1: So on sixty-seven acres so last year, I hunted a twenty-acre place here in Collin County, North Texas, um, and it was very educational for me. I had a probably a about a one seventy-five uh, coming around, non-typical. Yeah, and I know it was on the property one time when he was there. Dude, this deer was smart, and he never saw me, but he smelled me, heard him, you know, blow, and then just you know bolts out of there. Uh, and yeah, I never, I never had an opportunity, but I sure learned a lot. Uh, how many times will you sit a stand like before you think it's burned up in on 67 acres on a small property?
0: Well, I, I mean, just to be totally honest with you, the, um, you know, you, when I was younger, I would, I would sit, I mean, I would, I would get calluses on my butt cause I would sit and sit and sit. And I, you know, I'd always tell myself the more times you're in there, the better chance. And there is a lot of truth to that. However, in this day and age with, uh, with trail cameras and cell phone cameras, I, I let them do a lot of the work so that you don't, with deer here in Georgia, they don't handle pressure at all. They'll turn into mm-hmm. vampires and they'll be nocturnal for sure. So I let, you know, I, I definitely kept the pressure way off. I, it was a, a strategy, like I had told you all year long, I have protein feeders that I have r- really up close to the house knowing that the deer are probably not going to come to them during the daytime. They'll they'll, they'll want to be there right at dark, but it lets them travel all through the land. So they get used to traveling through the land because it'd be real easy for me to put the protein feeders that I run 12 months out of the year on the edges, and they'd never get to travel through the property. So they'd never get to take advantage of all the other things, all the food plots I've got. I've You know, out of 67 acres, I've probably got 14 acres in food plots. So then what I would do is I would time it like I put on the all summer long. I would get pictures of these deer at the at the protein feeders at night, of course, no daytime mm-hmm. pictures. And then what I would do is I would strategically place other trail cameras where I thought they were bedding. And then I would watch the timeline so that I would know what direction they're coming. And then I would hone in as to where they were going uh, uh, or coming from. And then what I did as it came closer to time to, to hunt them I would put little appetizer piles of corn or big and J or, uh, you know, some type of product attracting out there till I got daylight pictures. I would go as close to their bedding area as possible. And then I would set up accordingly, set up a blind or, or it would be near a, a an already stand or blind that I already have. And then I would just stay out of there and I keep that appetizer pile there so that I they would always get a daylight picture. And that's, that's how I got both of those deers. I, I basically conditioned them to, where they would show up at daylight. So it it was more than just like, hey, I think I'm going to go hunting today and I'm just going to leather butt it out and sit from daylight to dark. I I let the cameras do the work. (laughs) We're going
1: to work in a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we'll find out how both of these big Georgia monarchs met their end at Travis's hands. Uh, One with a bow and I think the other was with the old smoke pole. Uh, We'll find out more after the break. That segment Brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit Land is the one thing They're not making any more of But we all want it So uh, whether it's 67 acres Like T-Bone here Or 500, 1,000 There's no rural property Too big or too small They've been doing it for over 100 years They've got your back You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com We'll continue with Travis T-Bone Turner After the break On SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show scratching Hear that lonesome wind blow. Tell me,
0: baby, why you've been gone so long.
1: Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit texaspremiumpowersports.com or check them out on Instagram at texas underscore premium underscore powersports. That's texaspremiumpowersports.com. Dallas Offroad is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer least or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give him a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. If I always said God's a fisher And now I know the reason why And
0: if some kind of to go,
1: away, to go away, well Simpson bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Welcome to Earth, in <laughs> The name of that one. Love that tune. Uh, as a father, I just really like the message there of uh, how life changes once you do have a kid. Um, thank you guys for being here as we are still talking big whitetail bucks with Travis T-Bone Turner of the Bone Collector. But before we jump back into it with T-Bone, this segment of the show is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. You know, when you do put your tag on that big old trophy buck, Well, whitetail season might have come and gone for a lot of folks, probably for most of us. So uh, maybe it's spring turkey on deck, or you catch that 10-pound bass this spring. Whatever the case, you need to check out Rustic Reminders for your next trophy mount, whether that's a full-body turkey or a replica of that lunker that you caught and released. Either way, you can find them at gr8mounts.com. All right, well, we've got a couple big bucks to discuss here. Travis, you told us a little bit about each of them, Uh, your biggest buck that you've ever taken. You shot in Georgia this year, an absolute freak. But before that, I understand you took your biggest Georgia archery buck. And each of them were taken in similar manners, uh, utilizing cell camera technology, but certainly each had a very different game plan.
0: The uh, the first buck that I killed, we only hunted that stand twice. We filmed both of these. They will be on Bone Collector episodes coming up, but um, we only hunted it twice, and he was coming daylight, and this deer... Um, I had seen him like almost a mile away. So I knew he was a traveler. Whereas the big buck, the big non-typical, he lived here. He was here for the, for the last three or four or five years. I mean, he, he was definitely, this was his place. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first deer that I'd killed, um, I knew that I, I had to get him early on because things were going to be changing. He was still in a bachelor summertime pattern. I had actually taken him on my son's birthday, which was September 25th. And, uh, it was his birthday. We had went out to dinner uh, luckily they wanted to eat early I was like gosh I need to go hunting tonight because that, that <laughs> he has been and they wanted to go out to dinner and they said yeah let's go if, uh, right after school so they wanted to go at 3 30 and this was when it was still staying late staying uh dark uh, daylight till late wow. so as soon as we got home i said do uh, you mind if I go hunting i said i'll be back at dark and my son said yeah you can go um you know and i asked him if he wanted to go and he said no I don't want to go today dad so I I went and I filmed myself actually, and he came out a solid hour before dark. So I got uh, 30 minutes of footage of him and it just, just a true blessing. And the funny thing is, is 400 yards away on another trail camera while I'm hunting this 10 pointer with my bow, the other non-typical is out also at another place. And they never were on the same cameras ever. Really? Just on a 67 acre property. It's right. like they, they cut the property in half and I never seen them on the same cameras. It's like, they didn't even know each other.
1: Huh. That's interesting. Real interesting. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I don't know how you're going to top that season.
0: Oh, in, uh... I, no. As, as old as I am, that, that's it. I, <laughs> I, you're not that old. Yeah. I told him. I said, I said, if I, if I don't kill a cockroach for the next three years, I've done, I've, I've far outlived my dreams. I'm totally happy.
1: So the muzzle loader, though, I mean, you typically, obviously, are a big um, bow hunter, and you even—I don't remember if I don't know if you remember—but you came to Cinnamon Creek Ranch probably five, six years ago in yeah. North Texas, and you taught my wife how to shoot a bow uh, because she was like, she's like, oh yeah, I've seen this guy on TV. Oh, she's like, I don't want you to teach me, husband, that bow hunts also. Well, <laughs> let let Travis show me how to shoot a bow. So uh, yeah, she, she never, she never forgot that. And it still, it tickles me. It's kind of the same thing with a gun. She wants to go take a class. I'm like, I could show you. She's like, nah. Oh yeah. Something.
0: it It's the same thing with my son. I can't show him nothing, but anybody <laughs> else can, you know, I, I totally get that. I, I, I don't know w- what the deal is, but yeah, that happens. But uh, yeah. Yeah. But the muzzle loader, the, the muzzle loader. So see, I talk about that. You switched it up there. And the reason why is because, um where this deer you know like I told you how I was you know following him back to his bed and finding where he was coming from so that I could get daylight pictures you know as he made his way to the all-year protein feeders because as early as this was our food plots weren't in yet you know we, we don't plant early because of the heat as well as army worms. so we don't even plant till the end of September 1st of October so there were no food plots it was just plowed dirt so we were just rem, uh, relying on uh, natural browse, acorns and our protein. And then where, you know, wherever bait that you happen to put, but where he was at, there was no way, there was no way that I could set up anything with a bow in there. I would, I would have, I would have blown him out. I knew that if I'd have gave him two or three hunts, I would have pushed him to be nocturnal or pushed him, you know, off the property. So I, I knew that if I was going to get him where he was at and the way he was showing, it was going to have to be with a muzzle loader. So I actually set up a blind um, before I left to go to Kansas, the first part of September, knowing that I probably would never hunt that blind until like the 10th of October, wow. but I wanted him to be used to it. So, uh, I got it close. I, I had some big redneck blinds and some senderos for, you know, Georgia senderos, but it was just too far to shoot with a muzzle loader. So I knew that wasn't going to work with a muzzle loader there. So I had to get in closer. So I got as close as I could without, boogering him up and then you know if we had a chance to to hunt him I could how back far
1: out. are you comfortable shooting that your muzzle loader here
0: um uh 150 for sure i mean if uh, I, I could push it to 200 but here's the thing is if he's showing up right at last light you know we're trying to film it so i want good light yeah and, and you stretch that out to two you know it's it was about a 225 yard shot and if he doesn't show up till 10 minutes for last light then the lighting's not going to be good. And then you're not, it's going to be a marginal shot at best. Yeah. So I wanted to be closer. So I got in there. Um, it was about a hundred, anywhere from 85 to a hundred yards in the area that he was going to be, but that was close enough to where I wouldn't blow him out. If, if, you know, if, if we had to hunt him two or three different times, but luckily we, we got him on the first time in.
1: See, and that's just uh, proves that your recipe, you know, it was one for success. Like you get him on the first time, uh, you, you dialed them in with the, the trail cameras and it was a, you know, a long process of, of figuring out, figuring that out.
0: Oh um, yeah. There was a lot of sleepless nights. I'm telling you, I was like, uh, it was really touch and go. I mean, I shouldn't say touch and go. It was just real intense for, a month and a half around my house my wife said gosh I hope either you or somebody kills this deer because it's about to drive <laughs> me crazy
1: <laughs> so you get the live updates on your on your app whichever cell camera uh, I'm sure you use but yeah uh, yeah it's like the same thing you know I'm sitting there and you get a ping and you're like oh what's at the feeder or you know what's at the big yeah. pile uh, what's on that trail I you know I found a really great game trail what's using it uh, yeah my, my wife thinks I'm yeah, obsessive about it, and I don't really—I'm not a like OCD type person, but when it comes to that, yeah, I, just, I can't get enough of it.
0: Well, it's, <laughs> it um, consumes you know, me. Oh, me too. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the cell phone ones—you know—they're more expensive and they're not really that much better than a regular one. I'll just go check them, but but they really are. And the reason why is because we used to, but until cell phone trail cameras came out, you would only go check them once a week. Well, then. Or, or, you know, I, I, you know, if you're off on the weekends, I should say, but some people would go check them daily. So that's more times you're in there. You're stinking up your hunting area. You're forcing those deer to be more nocturnal. And then, um, then, then you're reading the information and then like all week long, let's just say you wasn't checking them, but on the weekend. So all week long, you're kind of prepping in your head, you're scouting and you're planning in your head. And then on Saturday you check the camera and everything tells you on the camera, was so different than what you've been thinking the five days but Mm -hmm. with a cell phone camera you're getting that instantaneous let's just say you don't get to go hunt your lease but uh once every two weeks but you're getting that intel all week long and you're seeing bucks move in you know bucks move out it can tell you what areas to hunt when to hunt should i hunt should i not go so that you can uh maximize the opportunity it's it's almost a a borderline unfair really I, i mean I, I hope they don't uh, put some rules or something on them, but you know how we talking about states doing wrong yeah. things. I, I had seen Arizona. Yeah. I seen where they was going to have a Arizona or, or not Arizona, but I, I seen where some other state proposed having a two week cell phone camera season. Oh, yeah. Okay. So,
1: well, I think Arizona just did just did away with cell cameras or, and, and maybe even trail cameras altogether. I think it's trail cameras.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no it, I, I think you're right during okay. season.
1: Yeah, yeah, like no more trail cameras. So
0: that's yeah. Uh, and they, their thoughts was because they were putting them on water holes, and it was running, it was running game off of the water holes that they need so desperately.
2: I well, think that's and, what I
0: read.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of that's more public land. But as as far as private land goes, you talk about a management tool and and trying to kill the right deer, the mature old bucks. I mean, it's invaluable, and and I think that yeah. gets overlooked. It's like, oh, you're you're cheating. Well, okay, it definitely tips the scale a little bit in the hunter's favor for sure and that's undeniable but it's also you know i want to shoot the oldest buck that's the right thing to do you know we want to take the mature ones let them live so i don't know how old your buck was i'm I'm, i would guess five and a half to seven and a half yeah he was six the the
0: big non-typical was six and the other one was five
1: okay so the average deer in texas uh you know i've talked to our texas parks and wildlife white tail program leader many times over the years how old do you think the average buck that gets shot in texas is
0: well if it's anything like georgia it's probably two
1: and a half that's it two and a half yeah (laughs) and so you you talk about the advantage that these cameras give you to to not shoot something like that young and and you know i'm not knocking it if if that's your property and you want to shoot a two and a half man go for it absolutely Uh, that's fine everyone is, is i'm fine with people doing what they want to do and when i see a a young deer that was shot, it it personally doesn't bother me. Like a lot of people get all like, "Why'd you do that?" Well, hell, it's it's your property. Do what you want, man. Absolutely. Um, but it- for me, I like big big bucks, big bass. Um, on some level, big boobs. You know, uh, I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's human nature. Some guys are like, yeah, you can't you can't eat the horns, and I'm like, well, okay. But if uh, five and a half, 150 walks out, or a, two and a half, 110 inch buck walks out. Every one of us is going to shoot the
0: one fifty every time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So I think we have to be honest with ourselves and we and say we like those things.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. But but I would never, you know, if it if it's legal and and it trips your trigger or for young hunters or or ladies or guys or or anything like that, and you're feeding your family, I, I will never ever say anything negative. I mean, you know, some some guys make a mistake; they didn't mean to. I mean, I've even done it. I've shot younger deer that I thought were older sure. than what they were, but. It happens. But as a rule, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I like the whole manage, especially on property of my own. Yeah. Um, I like the whole management process of it. I mean, it just adds to the meat and potatoes and the whole experience of just trying to to grow. Them. But no, I would never condone anybody, man. It, you think about it. You know, you and I probably get to hunt a whole lot more than most folks. But I put myself before I was in the outdoor industry. I'm Billy Joe Lunchbucket. Bucket. I work the wife won't let me leave Friday night because she wants to go out for a catfish dinner. We're only going to be <laughs> able to hunt Saturday and Sunday. And I got to be home at two o'clock so I can do my honey dues on Sunday. So really I'm getting to hunt Saturday morning, Sunday, uh, Saturday evening and Sunday morning yeah. every week It uh, or not even every week. Maybe I only get to hunt six days a year. And I'm going to tell that guy, he's got to let, let that two and a half or three and a half year old walk, even though it's legal to shoot it. I, I can't do that. I mean, no. I, I, we got to put ourselves in their shoes. So absolutely. I'm, I'm high-fiving them. If, if that's what they want to do and, and they're, they're happy about it, man, I'll sit there and grin from ear to ear on a tailgate picture all day long for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, my son shot his first, um, his first whitetail this year, over, right after Thanksgiving, I let him shoot a doe and he'd been practicing with the 22 two fifty, and he has this thing in his mind now where and he's eight. So he yeah. just turned eight. Um, and he was seven when he shot it and he says well dad you know i got i got a doe i guess next year i get to shoot a buck and i'm like oh, hold on there son we're gonna you got to earn your stripes here you're gonna just gonna be waltzing <laughs> in and shooting the biggest buck on the place i mean i'm
0: thinking maybe <laughs> next year you can shoot a spike or something <laughs> you know, or like a cold buck but yeah. yeah he's uh
1: he's pretty proud of himself these days
0: that's great yeah and, that, and that's what you know like like you know going back to talking about trail cameras with these kids today um you know so many distractions with electronic devices and stuff we you know i think that helps them and they get they get involved in that they get to see the menu of the the animals and the critters that you're going after and you get to learn about the you know the coons that are on there the foxes i mean it's fun to check those cameras and Mm -hmm. it it gives them more time and gets them focused on the hunting lease or the land that you're going to and that way it's not a surprise you know that they don't drop their chin when that four pointer steps out and they're trigger happy you know they they can take their time and 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 learn a little bit about it and watch it because so many times you know we shoot the first or, or I'm I know this is how I was 20 years ago you shoot the first bucker or, or first deer that comes in and then there's no telling what you would have seen if you'd have just give it an extra 10 minutes man it's so the the evening just progresses so fast once the deer start moving yeah well
1: you know what what you said about the technology these kids are all obsessed with it and. Sometimes my cell phone just disappears and I'm like, what, where did I set my phone? And then I you know, look over and see my son on the couch and he's looking at my, my app and checking all the trail camera photos. That's so good. Like, just like what you said. Um, yeah, you got him hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey man, um, I think we'll just go ahead and wrap it up here. You've been very generous with your time. I certainly do appreciate that. Um, tell us how many seasons of bone collector we've got under our belt now. Uh, i can't even keep track
0: it's like uh yeah um I you think guys are the
1: you all are the old guys now on outdoor
0: television <laughs> i think when we started we were old too um yeah i think this is our uh, 14th season we're, we're filming our 14th season actually the new shows are airing right now on the outdoor channel and uh but but that, that's you know 14 years with bone collector but we all got our beginnings with real tree so we've yeah. been with real tree and real tree road trips you know all the way since the early 2000s so yeah it's it, when we started this it was rolling the dice for all of us in 2007 and we thought well we might get two or three good years and then we'll all i'll go back to Fletch and errors for somebody and waddell can run sheetrock and nick can be a barber again so uh anyway <laughs> but uh now we're still so blessed to to, to have the platform and so many uh great you know we don't even like to call them fans they're just family out there so we
1: we uh well that goes back to how transparent you guys are uh i think what you see is what you get with bone <laughs> collector and uh that's something that uh, i certainly uh, respect about all of y'all um if you want to give your social media stuff so folks can uh check out the karaoke and
0: uh, <laughs> all that good stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, I should be telling you to tune in for archery tips and land management stuff, but it's more <laughs> of a karaoke show over there. It seems to be as of late. But, uh, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, just uh, uh, T-Bone Outdoors as well as you know Bone Collector. You can follow us all on there. And, uh, man, Cable, thanks for having me on here. Man, you do a great job. I always – whenever I'm in Texas at the shows, I always look forward to catching up with you and seeing you and uh, seeing Hopefully how it breaks we'll
1: Hopefully we'll have them this summer, man. I, I, we'll see yeah. what happens. But uh, yeah, thanks again for your time and give Travis a follow. It's certainly worth it. And there is, it's not all karaoke. I'm just giving him a hard time, but <laughs> I think we all, you know, like you said, we all need to laugh, especially yeah. last year. And and certainly so far this year. Uh, and I, and, and there's a, a good dose of humor on your pages. That's why I like following along and well, also like the big bucks too. That's uh... <laughs> well, I appreciate it. we
0: We try to keep it a good mix, a little personal, a little humor, a little, Big buck and a little education, a little bit of everything.
1: All right, brother. Well, hey, thanks again for your time, and I look forward to uh, our next conversation.
0: Absolutely, bud. Thank you. well
1: there he goes, Travis T Bone Turner of the Bone Collector, one of the nicest guys that not just in the outdoor industry, but one of the nicest human beings out there. I truly believe that. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by Stealth Cam and the new Fusion Cell Camera. You know, Travis and I were talking a lot about cell cameras and and How effective of a management tool they are. But not only that, they've become so much more affordable these days. The Fusion is like, I think, $150, $160 plus Uh, your cell plan now is as cheap as like $5 a month. So, um, yeah, something most folks can get into if they want to. You can find the Fusion at stealthcam.com. Coming up next, we're joined by award winning outdoor writer, podcaster, and commentator. Gabriella Hoffman on SCI's like Lone Star Outdoor Show.
0: Guns and religion. Religion and guns. I claim to
1: Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway. Hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832 466 9646. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit quietcat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. There ain't nothing in the world like earning these stripes They're getting put out of work when the price ain't right Yeah,
0: I left my soul, my pain, and my stripe
2: Oh, the oil-filled holes are filled with my life So I'll That is the music
1: of Chad Cook, Oil Man. And we're bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you for dropping by today as we've got an interesting guest lined up for you next. Gabriella Hoffman, uh, award-winning outdoor writer, commentator, content producer, and host of the District of Conservation podcast. She'll be joining us momentarily, and we'll kind of get the temperature of of Washington, D.C. when it comes to the shift of power that is set to take place next week when Biden assumes his uh, position in the Oval Office. Uh, But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the brand-new 2021 lineup. Uh, If you missed last week's show, we had Mark Boardman on. He ran down all of their new products, including— the revamped tripod lineup, I've been fortunate to, to get to play around with the Ridgeview for some time now. Used it religiously this hunting season. You can check it out uh, along with all of the new products and uh, tripods there at VortexOptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. And with that being said, it is my pleasure to welcome Gabriella Hoffman to the show.
2: Thanks so much, Cable. Look forward to chatting.
1: Absolutely, and thanks to our uh, mutual friend uh, Brad Luttrell over at Go Wild for uh, introducing us. And he's a good guy. To, he he certainly is. He's a great guy. Um, so let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Where are you joining us from today?
2: I am joining y'all from. The freedom side of the D.C. metro area, as we like to call it, northern Virginia for now, <laughs> Okay. I've lived in the area for almost nine years. It's really crazy to think that I'm originally from Southern California in what they call Reagan country, Orange County, born and raised there, went to college in San Diego. I do a lot in politics, but I also have a big overlap in the outdoor industry, plus in media as well. I run the District of Conservation podcast. I'm a prolific political columnist, award-winning outdoor writer, and my primary occupation is being a freelance media consultant, writer, and whatnot. So I have my hands in kind of different pools, kind of Jill of all trades, and uh, first-generation American. I always forget to plug that in, but my parents actually just celebrated 30 years since coming to the United States from the Soviet Union. So I have a first-generation American perspective on a lot of things, which is really interesting. And I try to incorporate that also into my outdoor writing and musings um, as well, just to kind of offer a contrast and really kind of talk up about how great we have opportunities to go hunting and fishing here compared to, let's say where my parents came from and how inaccessible a lot of those opportunities were and how even though our model is somewhat imperfect, you know, it's, it's better compared to the rest of the world, I think. So I like to talk about that as well. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. You know even with the tumultuous times we're in it's still the best last hope and i think people have to kind of recognize that a bit more and uh find ways to kind of come together appreciate what we have and um defend the lasting institutions that have made this country great the freedoms and all that and i think it's a message that a lot of people can unify especially even in our space i think in the great outdoors too um, so, yeah, I, I'm very grateful that my parents came here. I was the first person in my family born in the United States. Uh, people think I'm an immigrant myself. I tell them no. First generation often means you are either someone who came from there or it could mean you're the first person in your family born to immigrant parents. So there's some little confusion there, but I wear that badge with an honor. Um, grateful to be an American. It's, it's a great country and certainly it can always improve and, and every country can. Yeah are we are a beacon of hope for a lot of people um venezuelans people in europe even i have a lot of friends in europe who wish that they can come to the united states friends in denmark friends in other countries they love our opportunities to own firearms legally they love our hunting opportunities and uh, they wish they could have those basic rights especially as the eu and others uh, other government uh, structures kind of limit them from doing that so yeah it's a lot to think about and um no i i think I think it's it's yeah we we have a lot to still be proud of and I think and I challenge anyone who is a little hopeless to to try to remain positive and to be appreciative of what we have and to be prepared for the battles ahead uh in different avenues so we have to we have to stay the course I think
1: I guess we should just go ahead and and get right into something Biden said this past week and you host a district of conservation do you Dabble in the political side of things on that, or is it just more of a conservation-driven approach to uh, your podcast?
2: I'm probably one of the few who actively talks about politics. I know you do as well, but I largely started mine because I noticed there was just a huge deficit in this conversation. There was a lot of misinformation about what certain policies or certain secretarial orders coming out of this last administration were, And not only because of that, but I think there was just a lot of different moving parts and different policies out there. And I always thought that there had to be something about gun rights or firearms legislation, about conservation hunting. No one was really actively doing that. There were very few who were. Some people would dabble into it. Some of the, I would say, established voices in outdoor media were talking a little bit about that, but they were focused more so on storytelling on talking about going hunting in these very faraway places and getting this and getting that and chats over the, over, you know, their hunts and whatnot. And I felt like there was a deficit in that. Um, I also felt that there weren't enough female perspectives. And and even though, you know, I'm a woman and I try to bring on more female guests, it doesn't take away from the overarching, you know, sentiment that everyone should go hunting. But I think that there was also So very limited female presence. A lot of, uh, let's say, dialogue and exchanges can also be heavily weighted towards the masculine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly a niche for that. But I was like, there should be a feminine voice to talk about these issues, too, because we all believe in an equal playing field for that. And I think women can confidently talk about different policies and bring on storytellers, too. So I, I noticed two deficits, kind of a lack of female perspective on these issues, especially from a new hunter perspective. And then um, just a lack of kind of nuance when it comes to political matters in conservation, firearms, energy environment, uh, because a lot of people like to go along. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset any of their friends. But you can still hold different political beliefs or talk about different political issues in this sector um, while being respectful to your political opponents, but not shying away from counteracting any misinformation, counteracting any uh, kind of misguided or uh, wrongheaded type of perspectives out there because the beauty of this country is you can have diverging views. You can have a different perspective on outdoor matters. I mean, and it would be impractical to say that everyone who hunts and fishes has the same exact views that would make everything boring. It would be very, Unnatural to see that, so it makes sense that there would be people who don't necessarily agree with, let's say, the environmentalist perspective to conservation all the time. I mean, we're we're hidden environmentalists, I think, but I think too much. Oh, is
1: absolutely. Yeah. Too
2: concentrated on preservation, and people kind of want our industry to go in that direction, which I think would be problematic. And then there's kind of like a middle ground, I think, where most people sit in. Uh, They don't want to be, they're, they're kind of skeptical of government. Doesn't mean that they don't think government has a rightful place to manage certain things, to be an arbiter of certain things. But when it comes to, let's say, the role that states have, or is one type of hunting better than the other, or should one perspective be heralded as the top perspective or the only perspective? I think that's what podcasting allows people like myself to do, all of us to do, yourself included to bring on a multitude of views to showcase that it's a multifarious uh, different perspective type industry. Because again, it would be very unnatural being in the United States for everyone to have a singular kind of consistent view. Everyone has very diverging views. And even among people who are like-minded. That's
1: true. But there's one faction out there that wants, it seems that the farther we go along this road, they want us to adopt their views.
2: Right. (laughs) I'm like tussles. Yeah. 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 I see that because of peer pressure or maybe pleasing donors or wanting to get invited to cocktail parties for sure. Um, you certainly have those people who are afraid of kind of rocking the boat or, or not having an independent streak or displeasing their friends. That certainly happens with any type of industry um, That that will certainly be highlighted, I think, going forward, too. But the beauty of conservation, the outdoor industry, is that people can possess multiple views on politics, um, even if you are in like-minded agreement, if you're center-right. I've I've seen diverging views, even in center-right. Some people may not support certain types of hunting. Some people may. Some people may be in support of this or not in support of that. And uh, that's kind of why I started this, just to kind of explore that, offer alternatives and let people of different views speak. I've had people who disagree with me on the podcast, too. Um, Some people who disagree with so-called trophy hunting, but I like what they do on other aspects of conservation. I've talked to people, environmentalists who may not be in. Full sync with what I believe, but they're kind of challenging their peers in climatology. I spoke to Dr. Michael Schellenberger, who's a really fascinating guy who kind of diverges from his colleagues on the left uh, against calling for natural gas bans. And he's a really big nuclear energy advocate and kind of sees the problem with going into that preservationist uh, angle. And he questions uh, certain um, clean energy forms too. So you see, even dissent on, let's say, the preservation side too, which is very fascinating. So I like to explore kind of confounding trends or confounding individuals, I guess, uh, who who kind of want to challenge orthodoxy in a, in a good way. Um, not people who want to disrupt just to disrupt, but people who want to challenge orthodoxy in a positive way and get people to critically think. So I think that's another component to my podcast too. But I think that's it's healthy to be skeptical. It doesn't mean you reject science. It doesn't mean you reject conventional norms. I just think it's just naturally healthy to be skeptical and to question things uh, from a critical thinking standpoint and to foster dialogue and conversation.
1: One thing that stood out there, uh, I mean, that I just wrote down was when you said people have differing uh, views on trophy hunting. What Define trophy hunting. What does that mean to you?
2: I think a trophy is subjective. Uh-huh. And I think to many people, it can be waterfall. It could be a very nice buck. It could be an exotic species. It could be anything you put your mind to. I think the term is subjective and in the greater conversation at large in the industry, that's what we've talked about. I've written about that. I think, uh, highly regulated, controlled, big game hunting in Africa, which I know is something you focus on too, is often
1: about to leave for Africa in February. Oh, you,
2: you got the clear to go.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. Well, you know, barring a, uh, positive COVID sure. test that I have to get 72 hours before arriving. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. But I think, um, I've, I've tried to take a position that is fair and, and given undue kind of consideration to that perspective. But I, I'm of the belief that that type of highly regulated big game hunting in Africa should take place. I may not personally partake in it. I don't have any desire to, but I, I see the rationale for it because of just the local economies that are supported, kind of the misunderstanding of it, kind of the neocolonialist opposition to it, where self-determined individuals in Africa want to local tribes and other individuals and key stakeholders, they want to manage their own uh, surroundings with wildlife conservation. And it's a lot of the locals and you have kind of this neocolonialist Uh, perspective. A lot of white individuals who go into Africa and dictate to them what they can and cannot do for their management systems. They don't understand the obstacles or kind of the environs that are over there. So I try to give undue attention to that perspective. But going back to the trophy conversation, because I was kind of going on a tangent, I think it's a subjective term. A lot in the media will say that it means you support killing exotic imperiled species and the like. But I think in North America, it's more subjective what you believe a trophy is. And I think people have to make that distinguishing thing. They have they have to make that uh, differentiation, excuse me, uh-huh. uh, more clearly just because different countries and different continents have different management systems. What works in Africa uh, may not work in another continent, but they have their... Well, own-
1: I'll tell you what needs to happen is Americans need to stop trying to tell African countries how to manage their wildlife because exactly. they, they want the hunting, but except for Kenya and Kenya has seen a 70% decrease in their wildlife population since they outlawed hunting in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other ones see the value in it mm-hmm. and having been there and seen it, like my tracker, not a wealthy guy, but you know what he is. He's grateful for that job. And I asked him, I said, what would you be doing if you didn't you know, have this job? And he was like, well, he, he said, this is a very res- respectable job among my community. If I quit or, you know, diet or something the line would form at the left for people trying to get this job Mm -hmm. you know and and i didn't ask him in front of my ph i wanted to know what his take was personally like was this a good job was he thankful to have it of course yes he loved it and and so that was just a personal reflection that i had there also you have to think that the godfather of conservation teddy roosevelt was a freaking trophy hunter so just people need to understand that it the there's a long history of and and the term trophy didn't used to have a negative connotation associated with it that's in that's a modern thing that mm-hmm. that anti-hunters have attached that stigma right to the term trophy because to me trophy means i took the old mature male of a species who's you know he's done his breeding and it's like now he's going to die in the bush or i can harvest him eat him feed my family and then put him on the wall and have that memory and and when someone comes over that loves you know, who doesn't like to talk about hunting? We all love hunting stories. And then there's that, that memory that's put on the wall in perpetuity that reminds you of that moment in time.
2: But also for the locals, I think oftentimes I've heard, I mean, I've heard you talk about this and I've had other friends who've gone to Africa talk about how a lot of the times, um, let's say the, the meat harvested will actually go to the locals. Absolutely. Uh, so you can't take that back to the United States. There are rules against, uh, transporting it back to the United States, obviously, So it benefits local economies, they have meat, and also people forget that aggressive animals exist and they're not only a threat to the villages or the locals, they're actually a threat to the other species or uh, threats to other animals and their species. Uh, People forget that kind of like with wolves and bears here domestically, if you don't uh, eliminate threatening individuals within a pack or an individual species, a group of species, uh, that aggressive animal can decimate their own. Uh, we've seen that a lot with uh, grizzly bears killing fellow grizzly bears and also black bears. We've seen that with wolves being predatory towards elk uh, ungulate species as well, other other uh, wolves too. So if you don't manage the population, it's going to be disastrous, whether it's uh, aggressive individuals in certain species being enacting kind of their aggressive behavior or poachers. Uh, I think it's more preferable to have people to cull, let's say excess numbers or cold dangerous individuals in a certain species rather than relegating that to poachers or creating a black market. That would be extremely disastrous to see that ever happen. And I think probably in the case of Kenya, that's probably evident um, that they probably have a large share of poachers uh, because there's no management system in place. And the documentary trophy that was actually put out by cnn i think the i don't know if you've watched it but the filmmakers originally came in with it
1: yes i've had them on the show uh-huh.
2: interesting That's, yeah. and uh, i think they came away from it from my understanding when i reported on it that they they kind of drew different conclusions that they weren't woolly opposed to it they understood it they they reached different conclusions and i think it's it's commendable that Two individuals like that filmmakers who probably had very well-defined views about hunting came in with an open eye and reached different conclusions. So I think it's about changing the narrative. Uh, there are certain projects like Blood Origins that try to do that too. He Robbie Kruger focuses the gamut from let's say domestic hunting to hunting abroad. Yeah. Uh, certain other individual projects that that go there but i i've been very keen on trying to highlight that and and uh, draw away from misconceptions about it and if you talk to people calmly i think they can understand too because they're not told what are kind of the costs that come with you know not having a management system in place and this can be applied to any let's say like big game species here too the mountain lion grizzly bear gray wolf whatever um so they're there needs to be that kind of nuanced understanding, examination into things. And, and that's why I do my podcast, why I do my reporting, why I try to work with clients who adhere to those type of ideals and notions too, just because um, if you go after one form of hunting, I view things kind of from a holistic kind of wide ranging view, uh, an attack on one type of hunting is going to lead to an attack on all forms. I think incrementalism is very dangerous. We will start to see yeah. that. Percolate, and that's why I think um, people are being challenged to be careful with wishing away certain forms of hunting because that means that other types of commonly accepted forms of hunting could be gone away as well. Um, So, that's a a word of caution I try to heed to people and in my reporting and writing too. I think, yeah, it, it because people don't understand just how much money goes back to conservation on one hand kind of um eliminating certain risks involving different stakeholders and making sure that those species are sustained to uh people think because you're you're hunting you're taking away it's going to decimate the herd as a whole that's not the case with different studies and different examination into highly regulated even big game hunting or highly regulated hunting in general you don't see an overall decimation of a species i think actually species are much better off and, and they tend to grow and, and repopulate, I think in, in better percentages. Um, so we see that highly regulated hunting here and also abroad, uh, works really well to not decimate a species.
1: Well, and you look at in those places where it's working abroad, it's completely modeled after what we've done here, mm-hmm. um, because it's proven to be successful and that's the blueprint. And it's the only blueprint that works. Like if you look at, um, let's just say the UK, all. 99% of the hunting there is done by in, on game preserves behind fences. And, and that's the end of it. So they want to tell Americans and then I laugh on social media when a British person tries to tell me how we should manage our wildlife in America because they've done such a poor job with their own resources. Like it was like, you don't have a leg to stand on. So anyway, I take pride in that, what we've accomplished here and that other countries look at us as the model.
2: Right. We do have to continue to lead in that respect. Yes. Uh, Biden said
1: something that, and, and we all knew this was coming, you know, uh, as Kamala Harris was posturing for a presidential nod, which never came. Uh, she said she'd give Congress a hundred days to come up with some kind of gun buyback program, or she was going to force it upon them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all thought we ridded ourselves of her. Uh, certainly that is not what the, uh, the future had in store and we're living it now. Uh, Biden said on January 8th, just past week, that he will defeat the NRA. I look at that and don't see how you can interpret it as anything other than a threat to American values. What this country was based on and to this day still is, uh, I mean, that's, that's how we not only protect ourselves in, in our homes, but ultimately against what he just said, tyranny. What what was your initial reaction to that? And then let's talk about the political landscape. We just had the Senate, which we thought we'd won, flipped, and now we don't. There is a guy, Joe Manchin, that uh, I'm I'm man I'm I think we've got to put a lot of hope and faith in him, a Democrat with an uh, a you know an A rating from the NRA. Uh, but you're more in tune with all of this stuff as someone who's there in DC covering the back and forth regarding the Second Amendment. Give us your reaction.
2: Yeah, I did hear him say that he has consistently held that position, but he's also openly through his campaign website talked about what measures he wants to take. And a lot of observers actually say that even though he has a mandate now, now that we know what has happened with respect to the Senate, a lot of people are cautioning him to not proceed Um, not only because it will be met with a lot of resistance. And I mean that rhetorically speaking, I'm not saying that people are going to be aggressive and and go crazy, but it's going to be met with a lot of opposition in terms of uh, reception by voters. And here I'm reading from his website briefly about what he wants to do that people have to be aware of. I'm not sure if he's going to do this in his first 100 days, but he certainly will look to go after firearms manufacturers by repealing the 2005 protection of lawful commerce and arms act which gives immunity to manufacturers he wants to i guess reenact a certain federal assault weapons ban again that didn't work um he wants to ban the manufacture and sale of so-called assault weapons and high capacity magazines he wants to regulate possession of existing so-called weapons under the national firearms act and he wants to do a buyback of so-called assault weapons uh, which you can't do because the government never sold them. These were private companies that did. He wants to have background checks on every gun sale, which is duplicitous. We, we
1: already have that.
2: A universal background check won't work. It's duplicitous. It doesn't do anything relating to enforcement. Um, it's not going to lessen any instance of crime. Um, and they're relying wholly on the gun, so-called gun show loophole, and online sales loophole, which according to a lot of crime data, that is very uh ineffectual and very limiting in terms of how criminals perpetrate crimes they the doj doj excuse me did a study in 2019 and put it out there that showed of, of an examination into 200 criminals most of them were able to procure guns illegally off the streets they didn't buy things through gun shows they didn't do it through online sales loophole or private sales were, those were very limited in terms of their responses mm-hmm. uh they want to get rid of the so-called boyfriend loophole They want to put in extreme risk protection orders, uh, Charleston loophole, a lot of different things. They want to end the sale of, and excuse me, the online sale of firearms and ammunitions, uh, which have to go through FFL dealers after you purchase them. Of course, people forget that. Uh, And many, many other things. So they want to incentivize states to uh, extreme risk protection laws. They want states to be given incentives to set up gun licensing programs. And he writes that Biden will enact legislation to give states and local governments grants to require individuals to obtain a license prior to purchasing a gun, which is very much against the second amendment. Um, They want to, uh, they're not wanting to improve the NIC system. They don't want to do anything in terms of enforcement. You also have to look to see how the ATF will be working as well. I know that they've been talking at length. I've seen different chatter um, from different sources, reputable sources, of course, about how they want to rely on taxation um, to disincentivize people from purchasing guns, especially given the fact that eight to 10 million new gun owners were just witnessed in 2020. I think there's a great demand and obviously there's a great shortage of firearms, ammunition, And I think uh, public opinion has shifted in favor of firearms ownership and true gun safety measures. And I think because you see just a wide diversity of different gun owners, a lot of people who bought bought firearms were not your typical gun owners, and they were even politically opposite of what most people think a gun owner is. You had a lot of Democrats buying guns, too. So I think you're going to see a lot of opposition to any aggressive gun control measure, and with a 50-50 Senate, that's going to make things interesting. And you alluded to Joe Manchin. It'd be interesting to see where he falls on the issue because he comes from West Virginia, which has become very, very politically Republican in the last few years. Yeah. So I, I know he did something with Joe, the manchin me bill. Uh, I forget exactly what it stipulated, but, but it was some measure of gun control uh, with respect to that. I don't think he's going to be in support of a so-called assault weapons ban or ban on commonly used like ubiquitous gun parts, but he could be on support of some gun control measures. So that's why he has to be lobbied in a respectful way to not support that. And I think he could be an interesting voice in the Senate. Um, but it'll just be, my
1: buddy is convinced that he will, because of West Virginia's conservative values that he, he believes Manchin will eventually, maybe not right now, he'll probably wait till the dust settles, but that he will flip parties. And that's his. He bet me a turkey hunt on it.
2: Prediction. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of people have been saying that for years. It'll be interesting to see. He seems like a genuinely nice man. I don't detect any malice from him. I've seen him at the Department of Interior a few years ago at the Christmas party. And he seemed like a really nice fellow. I don't agree with a lot of his policy positions, but I think he's probably in sync with us on probably a lot of conservation issues, energy um, he comes from a heavy coal, oil, and gas state. I don't Well, see- he
1: called AOC an idiot. So that, I mean... I, I-, I don't
2: see him supporting the Green New Deal, definitely. <laughs> um, I, I think he's going to shy away from any extreme environmental or anti-conservationist or anti-hunting measure. I don't see him supporting, let's say, potential trapping bans. They just introduced a bill last session. I think they're going to reintroduce it again to ban snare uh, trapping or most forms of trapping. I have to look again at the uh, stipulation of those bills, but I think he could be an interesting voice. Kirsten Cinema, um, she's certainly more left of sent left than Mansion, uh, but she has voted in line with some Republican measures when it comes to these issues too, not necessarily guns, but on conservation and energy. I think she may be an interesting perspective. I'm not sure if John Tester will be. He's a little more moderate too. But he kind of toes the party line so there could be some interesting democrat votes who may vote with republicans and you may see some crossover from republicans to democrats side on different energy issues it'll be very interesting to see i don't think there's been a 50 50 senate in a long time uh, so yeah. i know mansion i was watching brett bayer show he said that he wants people to come together he respects his republican colleagues so i think he's going to be one of let's say the most interesting voices he may be at odds with his chamber Um, With the party there, I think he will clash with uh, Chuck Schumer, incoming majority leader. Um, So I think he's certainly a voice to look out for. Um, How
1: can we come together as a country when I feel like, Gabriella, that we are taking a step backwards because here we have big tech censoring, just, I mean, not take the president away. Uh, I was banned on Facebook for 40 days without explanation leading up to the election. Uh, I'm sure it had to do with something pro Second Amendment or political that I put out there, Um, and this is now affecting every conservative who already left these platforms to join Parler, uh, and now they've taken Parler away. And so we're not we're 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 not even gonna like Amazon's like, hey, get your crap off of our server uh, because we are deleting you. And to me, this says this goes back to like the civil rights movement when we had separate but equal. You know, here's a water fountain for blacks, here's one for whites. And we got rid of that. And we, all, we came together. And now it's like, in today's world, here's our separate but equal social media platforms. And how can we have this conversation? How can we have this discourse? If all the Republicans are over on this side saying, you know, F the Democrats. And all the Democrats are over here saying, F you racist Republicans. I, I just don't. I don't. I think we're taking a step backwards. And it's very alarming to me as an American and even more so as a parent with three kids, young kids. Um, I don't know. I, I I know it's not all doom and gloom, but it's uh, it certainly seems like on that on that side of things, and social media controls the flow of information. How are you ever going to get an unbiased opinion if all you hear is one side?
2: Yeah, I think echo chambers are very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we see Twitter morph into that, or let's say people retreating to something like Parlor. I was on there for a little bit and. Some of the rhetoric I saw there was kind of alarming. I got like blowback from people for just phrasing certain things, like admitting facts. I didn't agree sure. with facts. Um, so I think echo chambers will be bad one way or another. I don't want to see tw- Twitter morph into that. I don't want to see Facebook morph into, you know, a predominantly one party thing. And And I believe, you know, I've been very careful about what I say. And certainly I have certain fears, you know about censorship um, but i still think there is value in being on these traditional platforms maybe not saying it's bending over and, and giving in but i think people ha- just have to maybe be a little careful with what they say if um, things there that could not be perceived uh, but i think there's going to be a lot of reckoning from just the different tech companies i'm skeptical of section 230 repealing maybe some reforms can come because i don't want to be held liable for bad things that people say on the comments section or on my Uh, Instagram or Twitter feeds, Mm -hmm. because that could come with a section 230 repeal. But um, yeah, in terms of our community too, in the outdoor space, there's always been a lot of suppression of hunting content. I've talked to people inside different tech companies who've said that a lot of it is not because they oppose it because people abuse their spamming features. Everything is AI based, bot based. So they sometimes don't have control. I'm not making excuses for um, them trying to uh, silence certain things, but sometimes they do say it's because people abuse those spamming features. But they don't really have people to tackle these issues. I wish they would.
1: No, they got independent fact checkers, right? That are, that are hired by them and are in no way independent. <laughs> sure, no, I mean,
2: that, that's certainly separate um, when it comes to content moderation. But I think in terms of you know innocuous content, um, if you post, let's say, like of uh, meat that you're trying to prepare for a, a dish, I've I've seen different friends. Uh, had their content flagged or have it a cover for something as innocuous as posting about Turkey breasts or some breasts or something, or, you know, a different cut of meat that they're trying to prepare because someone who doesn't like hunting or doesn't like meat abused, you know, marks their post as spam. And I've talked to people at length there in different companies. I'm like, you guys should have, you know, people who, who focus on these issues because it's a big multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, Much of what is out there is good and healthy for dialogue and discourse. So I don't know if there's a one size fits all approach to this, but I think the companies need to be careful about some of the precedent they're sending. I think, you know, um, uh, people have to lower the temperature on both sides. Uh, I think the outdoor sports can bring people together, hunting and fishing. We all know can bring people together. Um, There's certainly who people who don't want that to happen. They don't want people coming together. Um, But I think people just have to be alert, aware, and uh not not withdraw from public discourse. I think that'd be very bad because it seeds to the one side that see, we we made things so uncomfortable, they don't wanna engage with us. I think um yeah, you just have to willingly engage. Hopefully they'll start to hear from different users. And uh I, I think all around improvements can be made. Um, certainly with these companies. I don't know if they get regulation. I don't know what antitrust is going to do, antitrust lawsuits. Well,
1: I don't think they're going to now that the Senate, you know, flipped. Oh, so.
2: they they I, I think there will still be some conversations. Now you see people kind of on the left talking about breaking up the different companies, too, but for different reasons. Yeah. Um. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think it's still worthwhile to engage. Um, And hopefully they will start to to listen and, and learn that these type of things can be costly. I think Twitter lost stock. Uh, Their stock went down um, in terms of their earnings due to recent actions that they took. And I think people on the left are starting to realize that you can't suppress people um, just for mere disagreement. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, different companies that are trying to be alternatives hopefully will be mindful of people who post violent content. uh, Parler uh, was taken off because some people were posting death threats there and they didn't tackle it i think there was a ref- right,
1: yeah but the problem is that it's a double standard like they they if, no tell me one leftist that's been canceled in 2020 there isn't one they, you can say whatever the hell you want with no fear of repercussion if you're a conservative and you say something that uh, is maybe a little off base maybe it isn't you can get canceled in a minute so that's yeah. the reality of that we that of what we're facing
2: yeah, no, no. There's certainly a double standard. I totally recognize that. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of different voices. I've I've started to see a few on the left who have said like this is way too big of a step. The ACLU even uh, came out against um, the president's removal from Twitter, and and a lot of t- interesting voices who didn't like him as well. So maybe there will be a reckoning that people will say like, oh boy, they're given too much power to do this, and maybe that could start to foster some dialogue. Um, And I I would say for people in the the sporting community, firearms community um, to engage, it's important. Um, And hopefully they'll start to hear our concerns a little bit more instead of ignoring it or bowing to one interest over the other. But yeah, there's certainly a lot towards the social media gambit. Um, I hope people realize that there's more to get together over rather than our differences. And it all starts with us. We could, we could all be better. I think I've tried make some improvements. Um, try not to contribute to the divide, even while holding my you know, well-defined political views, conservative views. Um, but I, I would hope the other side recognizes that too. And I think some individuals there are going to start to call for that um, just because we're reaching a breaking point. We can't have this division, hatred towards one another. It's not healthy. Um, and, and like I said in the beginning, no. echo chambers are very dangerous. I don't want to be surrounded by people who are yes men or yes women. I want people who have different views to listen to my podcast or to read my articles. Um, I've had That's
1: what's traditionally made this country what it is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want, if someone has some agreement, like if I ever get a chance to interview Senator Joe Manchin, hell, I would take the opportunity because he seems like a respectable guy, even if I have a lot to disagree with. But I think if there are different participants who want to, uh, improve things, improve conditions, they should be heard and they shouldn't be shut out the conversation. I think extremists take over Different constituencies, and I, I would hope people start to reject that um, more. But yet, but I think there will be some people who recognize. I'm trying to be hopeful <laughs> um, mm-hmm. with respect to that, and especially in in our sector too. I know there's a lot of divisions in hunting, fishing, shooting sports, and I hope the people who are causing those divisions kind of take a step back, and people call for some accountability and uh, some some reckoning, and uh, and uh, and kind of a push away from that. Um, just because we want to retreat. Away from the heyday of politics, go hunting and fishing without feeling, I don't know, alienated in doing so because I don't want to see politics all the time in hunting and fishing. Like if I'm going fishing or hunting, I want to it's a
1: shame that it has become Everything... so important here in 2020. And, and like I, that I've devoted so much time to yes. p- politics and, and but at the same time, and I was just talking to Travis about this, like you can't not sit there and say anything and watch this country right. trying to be uh, and, and it's the fringe. You know, there's the extreme left and there's the extreme right. And it's like less than 1% of each faction. Uh, but unfortunately, it seems like they're being heard the loudest and making the most noise. And, uh, and I feel like if by not saying something, it's almost apathetic. And apathy is no excuse. Once your rights are taken away, you didn't say anything. Well, then look in the mirror and that's who you have to blame.
2: Right. I think also media members tend to elevate a lot of extremist views and, and lump everyone with that. Um, and it it goes along the line of clicks, getting views, getting ratings. And it's really hard if you just put out something generic. Like I, I, I think I broke some story. I don't remember how long ago was it. And I tried to pitch it to the different some, I guess, producers at Fox News. And they were like, OK, thank you for sending it. And I thought that would be like a great story, but you know they, they wanted to follow the news cycle and maybe it wasn't just Fox, it was some others too. Um, and a lot of people want to chase after this angle. They wanna be the first. They don't wanna talk about certain things because they think it may not attract views, which I think is a mindset people have to draw away from. I think you have to start talking about let's say, positive developments in hunting participation. And it's amazing. You see Washington Post talking about this pew trust, a lot of kind of unconventional or a lot of kind of non-traditional or kind of um, not uh, topical adjacent publications, publications that actually don't support hunting, generally speaking. They're now talking about it because they're forced to talk about it just because the data is so overwhelmingly in favor of more participation and more hunters coming into the fold and being recruited, retained and reactivated in many different instances. And it's just when when things start to kind of grow and and mushroom in a good sense, you can't help but not talk about it. So it's really interesting that kind of these legacy media outlets are now starting to talk about hunting. They may not agree with all forms of it, but they recognize like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have maligned hunters and I think there are many good reporters out there. I know people have their misgivings about many people in the press, but I think it's people who are talking heads who cause most of the division. If you talk to most beat reporters, most of them tend yeah. to have good intentions. I've, I've talked to people who don't agree with me politically, who never have minced my words. And they're like, I actually appreciate your perspective because you willingly came out to speak to me and I don't want to misconstrue your words. So most of the time when I've talked to the press, they've always been pretty respectful um, and you have to just be nice and and willing to talk to them and, and they won't misconstrue your words. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with the talking heads, people on TV that cause a lot of the friction in this country. But I think there is an interest among the press to talk about hunting and fishing favorably. We do see a lot of it. Um, and I think maybe that's one way where people can come together across different spectra, media, politics, business, um, and, and really kind of demand for some positive development there. So I think there are little glimmers of hope. And I was very, really encouraged to see something like Washington Post talk about it, Pew Trust. So I think there are ways where you can um, kind of break the noise and and really do see kind of toning down of stuff and, and kind of improvements in, in dialogue. So I think it's possible. It's a little challenging, of course, but I think it's possible.
1: Well, as we are kind of wrapping things up here, um, and I do appreciate the you know the transparency you've brought to the conversation today but uh I, you know i have this this statistic in front of me and and mm-hmm. as we you know i hate to say it but um or bring it back to the the gun control thing but that's i think what is uh, certainly on the mind of most people that you know voted in favor of the second amendment take uh, republican democrat out of it i typically vote you know i have conservative values but the first thing i'm looking at is that uh, hands down. And so I'm looking at this stat. 2019, we had 16,425 uh, gun-related murders in the United States. And I'm thinking, like, how many of those were ma- committed with an AR? And I bet you, with that, I mean, I haven't looked, because the reality is it's the mass murders, and those make the biggest noise and m- get the most press. Uh, and I bet you it's like, I don't know, a couple hundred people probably if that were killed with, um, what people want to say are assault rifles, but yet the rest were all handguns. And going back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation, criminals don't get these guns legally. And the media is controlling that narrative that these things are are so dangerous and they're, you know, killing all these people and committing so many murders. And that's just not reality at all.
2: Yeah. It's important to extrapolate data accurately. And, um, even if let's say crime was primarily committed by handguns, that's still no justification to ban them. Uh, but yeah, people have to look to see, you know, what gun crime is. And I often defer to nuance, um, reading things carefully, not really being, uh, swayed by, let's say preconceived notions or the media narrative. That's why it's so important to read everything before you put out information. But with respect to that, yeah, it's extremely important to, to read crime statistics um, they tend to be fairly, uh, objective, um, you can't really deviate from it. And, and they're very particular about how they document crime, especially when it involves guns and, uh, yeah, you just have to, to consider the source and, and make sure that you're putting out accurate information. Um, and I hope more people start to lean in on that, not because of emotions or not because of, they dislike something because of its aesthetic features Um, And and that's something to we'll hopefully see um, going forward. But we may see some people, again, lean on emotion and not facts uh, when it comes to the gun issue or even hunting by extension of that. Um, I think that's that's what we'll see. Uh, But yeah, They
1: are responsible. I mean, they are responsible for a very high body count, but it's feral hogs. So. That's a good thing.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Um, no, they're actually limit. more seriously. They're, they're not used in most instances of crime um, when yeah. it comes to that. But but yeah, they'll they'll scapegoat them. Um, and like I had listed out, uh, President-elect Biden wants to look to regulate those. And that should be worrisome to a lot of people. And it'll- well,
1: I know all of your listeners, as well as mine, recently lost their ARs in boating accidents. I don't know how they're going to regulate that, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It remains to be seen, but hopefully not. Um, just given the the tra- changing attitudes, I don't think we will see it immediately. They'll try, but yeah. I think there'll be a lot of blowback because Congress is so divided, um, even with the Democrat control in both the House and the Senate, it's, it's very narrow in both.
1: Well, Gabriella, if you want to uh, tell us where folks can find you and the District of Conservation podcast.
2: Yes, uh, people can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am there uh, actively posting. I have the District of Conservation podcast on Apple and a lot of providers out there Uh, very easy to find. You just Google search it or go to Apple podcasts and find it. They also have their corresponding Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I also have a YouTube channel, which I'm trying to populate more. I've grown it a lot. I've had some interesting interviews. I interviewed South Dakota governor Kristi Noem a few months ago, which is my highest rated viewed uh, video there. So that's pretty cool. So people can follow my storytelling endeavors and interviews there. I also have my business website, GabriellaHoffman.com. Super easy to find me there. They can follow my musings at townhall.com. I'll try to bring on some interesting topics about hunting. I just posted an article about Virginia Sunday hunting. So I'm trying to inject um, some different type of content into your typical political publication. So I like
1: hunting on Sunday, so I hope that uh, gets passed for the Virginia folks
2: yeah yeah we have it on private land already and some public waters but there's still this outstanding obstacle but hopefully it'll be rectified i think it will even with the political makeup of our general assembly but yeah um i'm all over the place you can find me connect with me i encourage your listeners to follow me and uh, see kind of what happens in Washington and beyond. I also try to post my own outdoor adventures too. And I like doing wildlife photography. I have to do better with it. I didn't really do much last year um, just because of COVID, but I'm trying to post a multitude of different type of content pieces out there. Um, my own video work, I try to film and, and do monologues and try to do storytelling pieces, try to get better with that. Um, so I want to kind of put some positive content out there as well. So yeah, I encourage everyone to follow and connect. And if they ever have any questions, um, they can ask them. I'm pretty transparent when it comes to policies or things that are happening all over the place. And and if new hunters want to learn how to hunt too, I have some great tips and advice as someone who is new to it myself, uh, with, I think within the last four years and gun ownership and especially your concealed carry process. Happy to answer questions about those two.
1: Well, Hey, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I do appreciate it Gabriella and look forward to our next conversation as well.
2: Thank you, Cable. It's been a blast talking to you. I appreciate the platform and, and the Opportunity to speak. I hope we can connect sometime in the future in in real life. Thank you. Good luck in Africa. If we don't speak before then,
1: all right. There she goes, Gabriella Huffman of the District of Conservation podcast. A uh, great visiting with her today. Really, an encyclopedia of uh, knowledge, and I like the way that she referred to her thoughts as musings. And I certainly believe her musings are worth paying attention to. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the Damn Fish Feeder. Put the Damn Fish Feeder on your damn dam and feed your damn fish. It's the Damn Fish Feeder. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to Gabriella again, as well as our old buddy Travis T-Bone Turner of the Bone Collector crew. We'll do it again same time, same place next week, I believe. Steven Ronella is set to make his return to the show, so looking forward to that. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.
2: Now you keep telling me I gotta be tolerant As long as I think what you think You take a big old dump on my constitution Try to tell me it don't stink You wanna taxate, regulate And confiscate my rights Did you really think we wouldn't put up a fight?
1: Hey, hey, Washington Why
0: you so afraid? Tax-paying